Is it better for Christians to be poor rather than rich? Should Christians have a large savings account? Christians and wealth on this slice of fresh bread. Welcome to Fresh Bread, a podcast ministry of Grace Bible Church, Gainesville, with Pastor Brandon and Pastor Keith. Well, thanks for clicking on Fresh Bread, Fresh Bread podcast number 46. It is Fresh Bread, where we bring the truth of God's Word to a starving world. And today's topic, we're going to talk a little bit about money and wealth. And I guess money makes the world go round. And we're going to figure out, should believers, Christians, should we have a big, ginormous savings account? And is it okay for Christians to be wealthy? Uh, or is it uh, not so good? So I'm Pastor Keith. Uh, he's Pastor Brandon. And we're going we're gonna to try to tackle this using a football analogy. So Pastor Brandon, how are you doing? I'm doing well. So should Christians have a large savings account? Let's start it right off. Boom. Right off the bat. Well, I think... You know, Ed, that's a that's certainly a nuanced answer. Uh, the Bible has much to say about wealth, uh, maybe as much to say about wealth as it does about anything. Especially when you look at look at uh, our Lord's ministry, he spoke a lot about wealth and and the dangers of wealth. But he also gave us some helpful th- you know helpful ways to look at things when it comes to wealth, specifically specifically in Luke sixty nine is probably probably the Funny enough, it's 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 a little bit of a obscure exchange, if you will. You know that that the Lord spoke, the Lord was speaking. He had just given a, a parable, and but then at the end of it, he said in Luke sixty nine, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves from the wealth of unrighteousness, and so that so that when it fails, they will take you into the eternal dwellings. There's a lot packed in, a lot of wisdom packed into that verse. And you know we, we we need to start with defining what it even means, what the wealth of unrighteousness even means. Uh, you may you may have heard you know the I think the King James version is unrighteous mammon or filthy mammon. Uh, the the idea that uh, it's the world's money, and you know the Lord is saying in this in this particular instance, He's literally saying that that there's a that there's a use for the world's money for the Christian. For those who are followers of Christ, and you know what he's saying here is that we need to make friends for ourselves from that wealth. And you might ask yourself, well, how do I do that? How do I make friends? So you find yourself with a large savings account as a Christian. How should I use that so that large savings account? And I think first off, you have to recognize that it is filthy mammon. That it is the world's the world's goods. It is something that that is here today, gone tomorrow. It's something that I shouldn't that I shouldn't depend upon. That I shouldn't put my hope in. You know, this large savings account. I shouldn't hope that that's what's going to get me through to tomorrow because that's that's a, it's fleeting. It, it's it's going away. As a matter of fact, even in this verse, he says, "So that when it fails." I mean, so it's not even a if it fails. It's not a what if it fails. It's a when it fails. Like when it when it goes away, and and I think that that could be said on a on an individual level, you know, so that someone who's blessed in a certain time in their life with money with goods, and they have they have these things that at you know the next season of their life may be taken away. I mean, you've heard of you know people who you know they're high flying, they're 
they have great jobs. They have, you know, they're, they're making a lot of money and they get sick and, you know, all of a sudden they have the hospital bills and they have no way to work and, and all of a sudden it's gone. And, you know, that, that's something that we have to recognize in a fallen world that's going to happen. You know, you're going to have, you're going to have seasons where you don't have as much and, and you could go from being completely rich to being completely wiped out, you know, in a matter of hours, even, you know, whether it's, you know, stock market crashes or whether it's making bad choices financially, you know, that, that leads to problems, whether it's health issues, whether, you know, job, jobs go away, economy, economies fail, whatever it is, that money is fleeting and, and, and it could go away. But, you know, it also, and I kind of have alluded to this, but it also could be, you know, an entire nation that goes away that, you know, an entire nation, we we're in a position right now where money is being inflated so fast, so fast that the system is bound to fail. Now, what the fallout for that from that is going to be, we don't know, we don't know the fallout going forward very well could be that we end up with a new monetary system and you know that there's a there's a period of turbulence and and you know as we go through it you get on the other side and and it's just completely different but it very well could be that we go through a a major upheaval in this country based on the failure of wealth in this country and so you know either way either way whether it's on an individual level or on a larger scale that we have to recognize the fleeting nature of riches as christians that that's not Mm -hmm. true wealth Right, yeah. but the Lord is saying that while you had this wealth, you ought to be making friends with it. Now mm-hmm. the question then is, what what do we need to be doing in making friends? What mm-hmm. does that what does that even mean? So I I don't know if you have a follow up question. Oh, so what we... does that mean? <laughs> no, I think what it means is, is that I need to be using my my wealth for for ministry now. Now, ministry is, there's a lot of different avenues that way. It's not just, you know, giving to the church. Obviously, that's part of it because the Lord expects you to be a cheerful giver, giver and He loves a cheerful giver, and He wants you to give, and He wants you to give to the local church. He wants you to be committed to a local church, and He wants you to give to that local church and be a part of ministry there. Uh, but it could be also, now this could also be through the local church, but it could also be missions, you know, giving to uh, uh, the gospel on a wider scale, you know, that, that, you know, giving to spreading the gospel in, in the nations. And so we need to be in, we need to be involved in ministry that way. When, and part of being involved in ministry is using your wealth, uh, that, that you've been given, uh, for that purpose. I think also using your wealth for your family, for, for good reasons in your family, not just to give your kids cars and phones and, and, give your kids the, you know, everything that they desire in terms of worldly stuff, but, you know, paying for education, you know, paying for the things that they need spiritually, you know, sending them to church camps and putting them, you know, in situations where they can learn and grow spiritually and learn and grow, you know, even, even in their ability to do, you know, to have a business or, or have a, a trade you know, being willing to invest in that way, you know, in your children, because they, you know, they literally are the future, you know, in terms of, in terms of what's going on in, in this world. And so, you know, you want to, if you are a Christian, you want to invest in the, in the, in your children. So, I mean, those are just some things, you know, obviously, obviously the Bible has a lot to say about giving to the poor, we giving to those who are truly poor. You know, I think James calls it in James chapter one, he, he says the orphans and the widows. And so, you know, being willing to give money to those who truly need it. But yeah, that is, 
that is how, as Christians, we ought to be employing our, our wealth in general. So is it, you think it would be better for Christians to be poor than rich? Well, it, I think James has a lot, I, well, I know James has a lot to say about this because he talks about, in James, there's the, you know, this, you know, he, he talks, of, if, you, if you go to James, James chapter 1, in, in James chapter 1, you know, James talks about the, the wealthy and, and the poor, and he says in, in James chapter 1, verse 9, he says, but the brother of humble circumstances is to boast in his high position. And so, you know, that I think that, that what James is saying there, when he speaks of high position, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about who we are in Christ. And no matter how much money we have in this world, we have this high position in, in Christ. And so I need, to, I need to boast in that and not be concerned about a lack of, of money, a lack, you know, that money doesn't define me. And so, you know, being poor in itself, I, if I'm poor, that I could be just as big a, you know, I could be splitting hell wide open as a poor man, right? Because it's not as if being poor in, of its, in and of itself makes me righteous or holy, because I could be poor and wish that I was rich and, and do everything I can to be rich. And it may even be the reason why I'm poor, because I'm making poor decisions, because I think I'm going to get rich quick instead of going, you know, doing what actually works in terms of, in terms of making money and, and, and gathering wealth. But on the other hand, the rich man, in verse 10, the rich man is to, bo- to boast in his humiliation because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers grass, the grass, and its flower falls off and the beauty of, the, of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. And so what James is saying there is that, that riches are fleeting. I mean, it, it's here today, gone tomorrow. And by the way, the man who is rich is here today, gone tomorrow. And so, you know, that there's a, how many rich men have, have become rich, but then they're gone. I mean, I don't think, you know, the, the, the richest men who have ever lived in this world are no longer with us. I mean, some of the richest men, you know, Andrew Carnegie is no longer walking among us. Howard Hughes is no yeah. longer walking among us. And, you know, yeah. John, D., John D. Rockefeller is no longer amongst us. Now, you know, and so even though it's funny with like with Rockefeller, for sure, his wealth actually endures. Like mm-hmm. he's he's his wealth is still being used and and it's, it's actually, I think, being used, employed in, in ungodly ways. But it's actually still being used even though he's gone. Right. He, so it, it shows you that e- either the wealth leaves or, or you leave. But both ways, you're going to the wealth is going to be separated. You're going to be separated from your wealth because, as you know, many people have said, you know, you don't have the hearse following the or the the uh, armored car following the hearse, and so <laughs> you know, I mean, you could have that, but it doesn't mean you know the Egyptians, the pharaohs would be buried with all you know all this fabulous wealth, but then you know, two thousand years later, you have people you know plundering their graves, you know, to, to take the gold and the and all these things, all these trinkets, and so they didn't it didn't do them a bit of good, and and it do, it, it, it won't, will not do you a bit of good. So I, it's hard for me to say, is it better for Christians to be poor rather than rich? I will say that, that there seems to be, when you look at Scripture, there seems to be, a, there seems to be more impeding the rich to come to Christ. And it's interesting because in Mark chapter 10, it's the, it's the 
account of the, the rich young ruler, he, he, he comes to Christ in, in Mark ten seventeen, and and he came and he knelt before Christ, before Jesus, and he began asking him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit, inherit, inherit eternal life? And you know, Jesus, of course, says, you know, he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And and ultimately, I think he's calling him on, you know, his, his definition of good there. But he says this, he goes, you know the commandments. And he goes, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Then he says, do not defraud. And then he says, honor your father and your mother. Now, what's interesting is that that word or that, that phrase, do not defraud, is actually not a commandment. But Jesus says, you know the commandments, and it's actually not a commandment, do not defraud. Now, obviously, it's, it's it, it, you know, there shall, shall not bear false witness is what it really is. But there's a reason why Jesus actually changed that wording. He actually changed that wording for a reason, and, I, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll show you this. So he says, the, the, the rich young ruler says, I've kept these things from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow, and come and follow me. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that that's how you get to heaven, is to go sell everything that you, you own? No. No, absolutely not. Do, actually, do you think following those commandments is how you get to heaven? No. No, absolutely not. But what is that? What, is, what do those things do? What do they actually do? They show us our heart. Absolutely. Thank you, Keith. You're, you're a smart guy. No, they show us that it's exactly right. It shows us our heart. And what Jesus did right there is he showed him his heart. Now, I would argue that do not defraud. I would argue that, 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 that he had actually broken that commandment, mm-hmm. that he, he really was. A, that's how I, I would argue. I think that's probably how he got rich. Now, I can't prove that, but the, the clues in the text lead me to think that that's probably how he got rich in the first place. Yeah, but but even if he didn't see himself as someone who defrauded people, even if he didn't see himself as that, he you know that he he's seen himself as being basically good is what he really is what he really saying. So he has a wrong definition of what it means to be good, and so what those things do is is reveal the heart, and that's exactly what we see here. It says, but at these words he was saddened and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And so, you know, what, what Mark is saying here, and I think this is ultimately Peter that's, you know, giving his, his uh, insight into this, uh, the Apostle Peter with Mark, but what Mark is saying, or what's being said here, is that it was, the, it was his heart that was set on riches that was what was impeding him from coming to Christ, from following Christ. Mm. And... And he even he even it even says in verse in chapter ten, in chapter ten verse twenty four. I'm sorry, in ver, chapter ten, uh, verse twenty two, that he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. So it, what he was saddened about is that he had to give up that property to be a follower of Christ, and he wasn't willing to do that. And that doesn't make him that doesn't make him a follower of Christ. That makes him a rich man who can't get past his riches and and it, it is unwilling to repent and turn to Christ and trust in him. And so, you know, you have a clear story here, a clear situation where the riches has impeded his heart and and created a situation where he doesn't want 
to come, you know, doesn't, is unable to, to turn to Christ. Now it's interesting in verse 23, he said, Jesus looking around said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Now it's interesting. The first time he says how hard it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The second time he says how hard it is for anyone, really, and there's no there's no qualifier there for anyone to enter the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And so, but but we can't miss that that wealth is certainly something that that impedes people from following Christ. Mm-hmm. It's because they're concerned about their wealth and they don't want to give up their wealth, and and so it's problematic. But then Jesus says or later he's in verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, what's interesting there is I don't believe Jesus is saying, I don't believe Jesus's main point is that rich men having, having a difficulty entering the kingdom of God. I believe that he is talking about, you know, some people think it's a gate, you know, the, the needle is a gate you know, it's hard for a camel to go through. It's too too small for the camel to go through, and it's very difficult. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I think he's talking about the eye of a needle, and I think he's talking mm-hmm. about taking a camel through the eye of a needle, and that's that's what? That's impossible to do, right? It's impossible to take a camel through or put a camel through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. And so I think what he's saying is, is, that, is that it's impossible. Salvation is impossible. That that with and then he goes on. Look at verse twenty six. I think it is. And in verse twenty six, you know, the 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 disciples were astonished. They were even more astonished. It says, "Then who can be saved?" I mean, for them, they thought that that riches were a sign for of a blessing, a blessing from God. That mm-hmm. that riches are what if a rich man means that they've been blessed by God. And and you know, look, basically, if they're saying to him, if that guy can't be saved, if that man is is unsaved then and can't be saved. If it's impossible for him to be saved, then who can be saved? That's what they say. Then who can be saved? Like that this this is impossible. And I and I want to really, really, really I want to say, I mean it, it it really that what he's getting at is that rich or poor, it, it doesn't matter. It salvation is impossible with people. Look at verse 27. Look at looking at them, Jesus said with people it is impossible but not with god for all things are possible with god so what he's saying is is that salvation is of god god is the one who saves god is the one who changes the heart and so you ask you know can a rich man be saved absolutely a rich man can be saved and we have it we have that in scripture if you go to luke 19 now what's interesting is is that in that the, there's a, the parallel account of the of the rich the rich young ruler is in Luke 18 verse 18 through through 27 and so you have the, exactly the same account of what's happened you know same same I mean so there's a little bit of different in verse 23 of of Luke 18 it's they it it tells us that he was extremely rich this man this rich young ruler was extremely rich so I mean he's someone who who actually had much, much wealth. He was very, very rich. And so, but but to prove that it really isn't the wealth that's the issue, it's the heart that's the issue. If you turn over to Luke 19, you have the story of, of, a, of a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief 
tax collector, verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 2, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, in reality, Zacchaeus and this rich young ruler, it's interesting in Luke's account, you see it parallel, right? Because, you know, you have this, you have, you have this rich young ruler account, and then Luke puts it right here with this Luke 19 account. And so you have a rich young ruler who didn't come to Christ, who didn't, who wouldn't give up his wealth. And now you have this, this tax collector who, I mean, he couldn't be any more opposite except that he was rich. Like it, they, you know, the disciples would have looked at Zacchaeus and he, they would have said, this guy's a tax collector. He's the hated, he's hit the hated of the hated. He's not only a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. He's a man of the dark. I mean, he's a man of, you know, the shadows and, you know, he's a, he's a, somebody that we would, I mean, where the rich young ruler is someone who's obviously been blessed by God. He's got much property and, and, you know, he's a, he's an upstanding citizen. He's a ruler. I mean, it just, you know, all these great things about this, this guy, then you look at Zacchaeus and, and, you know, in parallel and you go, Whoa, wait a minute. Zacchaeus has all these negative things, but the only thing that, the only thing that was the same, the only way that they were the same was they were both rich. Right. Yeah. But what happens with Zacchaeus? We, you know, you've probably heard the story. I mean, he was uh, unable to see Jesus because he was, he was small in stature. So he ran up and he ran up this tree in order to see him for he's about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down for today. I must stay at your house. Ultimately, he turned to Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and I want you to see something really, really interesting in, in uh, verse 8, probably as they were going to be a guest at his house. So Jesus was going with Zacchaeus to, to stay with him. It says, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, if I extorted, have extorted anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. You know what Zacchaeus is saying there? Mm. I don't care about my wealth. Mm. I don't care about my wealth. I'm willing to, to give it all up. What was the difference between Zacchaeus and mm. the rich young ruler? Yeah, Zacchaeus saw his heart. Yeah, Zacchaeus understood. He got it. He got it. Zacchaeus was just as rich, maybe richer, maybe much more rich because of where he was at. I mean, he was a chief tax collector, and tax collectors were incredibly rich in that society. That's the reason why they were hated, because they were extorting the people. And so so this rich man realized and recognized the issue and was willing to give up his wealth, whereas the rich young ruler wasn't. So the issue is really the heart. And Jesus said to him in verse verse 9, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. And so so ultimately it was his heart that was the issue. But Jesus even compounds it even more in verse 10. In Luke 19, 10, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. And so it's those who have come to recognize that they are lost mm. that, that <laughs> receive salvation. They're, they're the ones that have come to recognize. So it isn't any it has nothing to do. These two stories show us that it has nothing to do with wealth. But wealth is the is what impedes many people from coming to Christ. It's what you're putting your faith in. That's right. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. And you know, I never saw the in the in the Luke one where they're back to back like that. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. Well, it and and I would say, you know, this is something you can't even. I I, I certainly can't prove that this is what Luke was doing, but it it does seem that way in Luke eighteen. 
in the first part of Luke 18, it's the whole story of the 18 verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, and one of and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying these things to himself: God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, like other people swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man, that'd be the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." Then Luke adds this story right after that in, in verse 15, and they were bringing even their babies to him so that they would touch him or touch them so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they were rebuking him. But Jesus said, called for them saying, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Mm. And so now, then, right immediately, he goes into the story of the rich young ruler, yep. and then he goes into Luke 19, and here's what's interesting. You probably are starting to see the, the parallels. I mean, there's the story of Bart- Bartimaeus it's in the middle, in the midst of all of this, but you start to see the parallels with, with Zacchaeus because, you know, Zacchaeus in Luke 19, what is, Zac- what is Zacchaeus doing? So it's interesting. I'm, I'm just going to throw this in here. What do kids do if there's a tree to climb? They climb it. They climb it. What did Zacchaeus do? He climbed it. He climbed the tree. So Zacchaeus is coming as a... As a child. As wow. a child, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, because you know, and, and then you even go back further with the, with the tax collector and the, and, the, and the Pharisee. So who was humble? Who was humble, the rich young ruler or Zacchaeus? Hmm. Yeah. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. But the point is, is that Zacchaeus was re- received the Lord as a child. He's and and that's and if you think about it, what is that it what even is that? Well, that's humility. That's what the Lord is talking about humility there. He's talking about when he says le- receive him as a child, mm. he's talking about the humility of a child. And and Zacchaeus in being willing to climb a tree, you know, he was small in stature, well children are small in stature. He he's willing to climb a tree I mean, we're talking about you know if you if you had a parallel in our in our society, it would, we're talking about the mob. We're talking about you know the, a mob boss who who is in charge of organized crime, who finds out that Jesus is coming to town, and decides I need to see this guy and this mob boss climbing a tree. Think about that. You think about how humiliating that would be for him to do. Yet that's what he did because he was because he was convinced that's what he needed to do, mm-hmm. and he was convinced that's what he needed to do because the Lord had changed his heart or was working in his heart. Mm-hmm. We see salvation work being worked out there, but but ultimately, again, where this is about wealth, it this whole podcast is about wealth. It's not about wealth. And, I mean, it it's about your heart. And so, yes, the answer is a poor man can come to Christ. A poor man probably has less things impeding him in that sense in terms of the world, and yet and a, and a rich man has more impeding him because of the world, but ultimately, ultimately both can come to Christ. And by the way, I think that, you know, with going back to James chapter 1, that I think he was talking about the rich brother, you know, in, in, there in James chapter 1, uh, verses somewhere the 9, 10, or 11. 
I think he's talking about, you know, a rich brother in Christ. And so I think that there are actually three groups, and, and we've talked about this before in, in, in our discussions at, about mm-hmm. James, but I think that there's actually three groups that James has in view. I think there's the poor who are being oppressed. I think there's the rich landowners that he talks about in James chapter 5 that are oppressing the poor. And I think there's the, the brothers that are in the middle that are not poor, and they're not, they're not being oppressed by the landowners, but they're not willing to help the, the poor brother. And so the, it, it ultimately becomes an issue of whether their faith, their, whether their faith has works. James chapter two and how they're acting that way, and so the point is, is that ultimately the people, the guys in the middle were the, were the ones at issue because it was whether or not they were going to trust in their wealth and trust in you know their standing in the community, which was bringing them wealth, or whether or not they were going to be willing to give all that up to protect you know the, their their brother that was that was in humble circumstances, and so James is saying that they need to they need to be they need to, to humble themselves. Just like Zacchaeus humbled himself, just like the tax collector in in Luke eighteen humbled himself, and you know that's it's funny because there's so many parallels between the Lord's teaching and and that and what we see in James. I, I mean, I would say James is really the Lord's teaching applied. So it all comes down to the matter of the heart is the heart of the matter. Yes. Yes. And just to unpack this a little bit more, so is it always wrong for Christians to seek wealth and fame? What do you think? Well, I think I think if that's if in and of itself, yes, to seek after wealth and fame, it, it, there's there's grave dangers there. What if you say I'm seeking it? I'm, I want to be a millionaire so I can support a ministry. Well, I think that that's you're fooling yourself. Is that pride? Yes, I do. I do think that that's pride. I do think that it, you know, to seek wealth and fame in and of themselves, even if you, even if you justify it and like how much I can help people and what I can do, uh, you know, the Lord, the Lord doesn't need you. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. you, you, you think, oh, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be this, this conduit by which all of this thing, these good things flow. You know, it, the Lord doesn't need you that way. You know, it just, he wants you to be humble. He wants you to, mm-hmm. He wants you to be a, a humble man, whether you have wealth or whether you don't. It, either way, he wants you to, to act in humility. And seeking after wealth and fame is a dangerous endeavor. So should Christians then give away all their wealth if they're a wealthy Christian to the poor and live with just simply the basic necessities? No, I don't think so. Um, okay. I mean, I think here's what's interesting, Keith. If you, if you said that, I think on a macro level, you, live, you and I live in an incredibly rich nation and most people probably going to who are going to listen to this podcast live in an incredibly rich nation probably I'm certain that it's the richest nation top to bottom that's ever existed on the face of this planet so you know for us to to say that we need to give all our wealth to the poor and live with basic necessities is basically saying that we believe that that as a as a country that we ought to give away everything and just because there's poor in the world and you know the the Lord says there's always going to be poor. The poor are always going to be with us. And so, you know, I, I, yes, we do need to be on, uh, certainly, we need to be concerned for the true poor, but I don't think the Lord is necessarily, I, I don't think he's calling for rich, those who are wealthy to give everything to the poor and just live as paupers. I, I think he wants us to be conduits. I mean, I said earlier, don't, you know, don't seek wealth and faith thinking you're going to be a conduit, but I do think that as he blesses us, you know, by ordinary means, you know, in terms of as we, you know, if let's face it, if you if you obey the Lord 
if you walk in wisdom, there's going to be blessing in that, right? And mm-hmm. we've seen it throughout history that you know Christians and those who are followers of true followers of God, uh, by and large, are you know they're well off. I mean, in terms of their society where they're at, generally speaking, they're well off, and and you see that from Abraham and you know Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. You know, you see, you see the the walking in wisdom generally brings about blessing and wealth. I mean, there is that. I'm not I'm not being a health, wealth, prosperity guy. I'm not doing that. But what I am saying is, is that if I walk in wisdom and I trust the Lord, there's blessing in that, and there's blessing in that. Even obeying the wisdom of the Lord, there's the Bible speaks much about how to handle money, and how to see money. And so I I, there, I have a wealth of ways to to learn and grow through God's word and through godly people to understand that. And so, so to say that then it, so, so if, if God blesses us in that way, you know, I think he expects us to be a conduit, but that doesn't mean that we give everything away. I mean, you know, we, it, it's, it's one of those things where if we're, if we're managing our wealth in the right way, in a godly way, then why would you give it to people who wouldn't? Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Why would I mean? I'm 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 talking about giving all of it. Like I I mean, yes, I want to be a conduit for wealth. I want to be a conduit for blessing, but I don't I don't want. It's not. It wouldn't make sense to give all my wealth away, and and now it's being controlled by somebody else that it doesn't have the same understanding of what wealth you know what wealth and how it should be used. It doesn't have a, a is not wise that way. So no, I don't. I don't think that that the Bible teaches us or, or expects us to give everything away. Now, you might say, well, what about you know those places where Jesus said, you know, give everything away? Well, I mean, there there actually is an answer to that. It's it's found actually in in Luke eighteen and and in Mark ten, because um, you know the disciples go on to say, you know, Peter said, behold, we've left all that that is our own and have followed you. And Jesus said, and he said to him, truly, I say to you, there is no one who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more at this time and in the age to come eternal life. Now, I don't, I'm not necessarily saying that the Lord is going to give you, is going to give you great wealth in this life. That's a, that's a health and wealth prosperity kind of idea. And I don't have that. But I think, you know, I think it's MacArthur who said, you know, that it may be that he blesses you with righteousness, you know, that, that he may not bless you, you know, with, with wealth, with mammon, but he may just bless you with righteousness, righteousness, which is much greater than any wealth of the world, because that's something that can't be taken away from you. And, and even greater what's going to happen in the life to come. And so the, the eternal life. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think that, you know, ultimately it's not, he's not taking away from, I mean, ultimately all wealth comes from him, right? I mean, I don't, it's like everything, it all comes from him. It's all his, Mm -hmm. right? And so if it's all his, I can give, I can, I can literally give everything as I can, I'm not saying we, that the Lord is saying we need to just sign it all over to people, but I do think that we need to be a conduit that's willing to give everything, right? that's willing to, because we don't see it as ours, right? That's, that's ultimately the issue is that anything I have, any, any item, any good, any food, any, any bank account, 
it is all the Lord's. It's everything, everything this earth has, everything it contains, you know, that's what the psalmist said, everything the world contains is God's. And so I'm just a steward. I'm just, I'm just a guy who's a steward over those things. And so I just need to be a good steward. And I need to, and I need to be a, instead of a stagnant, stagnant pond that gains, you know, that, that gets stagnant and, you know, that uh, the water always comes into and never leaves. I need to be a, I need to be a vibrant pond that, yes, there's blessings flowing into me, but there's blessings flowing out. Mm. I'm just a conduit by which those blessings are flowing. And if I can begin to see myself that way, then, you know, the, the Lord is going to bless me even more. But again, that doesn't mean I'm going to be blessed. I could be blessed with wisdom, you know, and, and I could be blessed with righteousness. Um, and he might bless me with, with, you know, worldly wealth, but I need to, if I, if he does that, I hope he blesses me with wisdom and righteousness so that I use it well, you know? That, yeah. Is that where that misunderstanding comes from when you talk about, we talk about the health and wealth gospel guys that, they believe that Jesus said that every Christian should be wealthy, uh, and we and we don't see that anywhere in Scripture. No, I don't see that in that 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 I don't I don't see that anywhere in Scripture that that wealth in of in and of itself is the object of our pursuit should be the object of our pursuit. I think that being a blessing to people, like if I now. Again, there's the caveat because the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? You know, I you asked earlier, should I seek for wealth and fame? And what about the guy that says, "Hey, you know, I'm doing this because I want to be a blessing to people, or I want to I want to use the wealth for whatever ministry." Need to be. We obviously need to be careful with that. But at the same time, recognizing that God does bless. I mean, it. You know, He blesses those who walk in righteousness. He blesses those who walk in wisdom. I mean, there, that happens. I mean, that is true. I mean the. The Puritans, you know, you have, you've heard of the Puritan work ethic. I mean, the Puritans were were successful people, right? They were successful people in the world, and you know, by and large, many Christians today who are walking in wisdom are successful people in the world. And so there is a there is a principle that if we walk according to His wisdom, if we if we're walking in righteousness, that there is a blessing to that, right? But it's not. But that isn't. That shouldn't be our aim. Our aim should be walking in wisdom and righteousness, not in, not because I'm going to get, you know, my bank account's going to get, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars because I'm, or millions of dollars or whatever it is. I, I because I'm, you know, that's the whole Tim Tebow issue. You know, that whole I forget that life source is that what it's called? The life surge. Life surge. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the whole health and wealth thing, and and that if you know that God is going to bless me. And it's all about money and power and fame and and that's I think that's just a wrong focus. It is a wrong focus biblically, right? And I and I was going to end with the life surge thing because it's interesting that you know you mentioned Tim Tebow is a part of it and Willie Robinson is part of it from the Duck Dynasty guys. But this is just kind of a repackaged thing. I remember hearing this stuff back in the eighties and nineties. It, it it was a, it's a way of trying to accumulate wealth to help Christians. But it's like what we were just saying, it, it's it's almost you get so focused on that that you lose sight of Christ. And that's where the danger is, right? Yeah, and you, you get it ultimately you lose focus on the fact that we are called to walk in righteousness yeah. and we're called to walk in wisdom. And that those things, yes, those things can make us prosperous and you know, because of because the the world is set up, the the, the Lord has set the world up that he that he built 
such that there's a certain wisdom and a certain the the righteousness that's going to that is going to be more conducive to prosperity. You know, if you and that's the wisdom I'm speaking of. You know, and 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 you're walking walking in righteousness, and so you're you're helping people who need to be helped, and and you're giving in such a way to to spread the gospel. I mean, look, the you're going to prosper most likely, and 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 if it's not in money, it's going to be in other ways, and so there's going to be a prospering that's going to happen if you do those things, but that can't be the 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 focus can't be monetary. It, it's it's the wrong focus. It's the it, that's the rich young ruler. You know that his focus was monetary, monetary and and property and you know having a big bank account, having much property. You know those are the things that he was concerned about. And and it's not that. It's it's you know it's really walk. It's really walking in righteousness and wisdom. And that's the that's the focus that we ought to have. Why do you think the Bible does say the poor will always be with you? Well, I think in context, in, in Mark 14, if you remember, you know, it, it's the, he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, and there came a woman with an alabaster jar of perfume, a very costly jar of perfume, and she broke the jar and she poured it over his head as a really, really is a point of worship. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, was going to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300, 300 denarii and given to the poor? And then John gives you a little bit of commentary saying, not, now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box and used to take from what, from what was put into it. So, so he, you know, he's feigning, like, I, I want to give this to the poor. We ought to give this to the poor. But in reality, he's putting it in his, putting it in his own pocket because mm-hmm. his heart wasn't really with Christ. It wasn't really with Jesus. And so, you know, Jesus answered, therefore, you know, let her alone so that she may keep it for the, for the day of my burial. And so then he, then he answers, for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. And so I think ultimately his, it's a statement of worship, right? Are you going to worship money? Because that's what ultimately Judas was doing. I mean, he was worshiping mammon. And, and ultimately he's saying, look, I, I'm, I'm the reason you should be, I'm, I'm, I'm the focus at this point. And and I, and that's still true today, right? Again, that's what, that's exactly what we've been saying all along: is that is your heart going to worship the mammon and and the worldly goods and you know the things the the big bank account, the big nice house, the big car? Is that what your heart's going to worship, or do you have an open hand that says it's the Lord? All of these things are the Lord's. Even if He's blessed you with those things, it's still the Lord's, and I'm willing to give it away. I'm willing mm-hmm. to give. If that, if I knew that the Lord was calling me today to give everything that that away that I have, then I would be willing to do it. Mm. And so you go back to asking whether we should give everything away. Mm. I I answered that ultimately no. I don't think that's what the Lord is calling us to do. But but I think you need to have an open hand that says if the Lord took it all away today, whether it's through giving it away or whether it's through some somebody taking it by force, you don't you you wouldn't suffer loss like. Mm. You know, you you wouldn't in your own heart suffer loss because you have everything you need, and and I'm not talking about food and and money, and I'm talking about Christ. That ultimately you have Him, and and that's I mean again, it's the same same deal going on with in Judas's heart. So, so it's all about trust. Who do you trust? Yeah, whether you trust Mammon, whether you trust the world's worldly goods, or whether you trust Christ. And you know, Jesus is saying, look, we need to put our 
our trust in Him. So answering the question that we that we started at the beginning, wealth, should Christians have a large savings account? I think you need to live and I'm just I'm just I'm asking you if this is if this is the right answer. We need to live it's okay to have a savings account, but we need to live as if let's say tomorrow some kind of catastrophe happens where everybody's bank accounts are wiped out. It shouldn't change how we view our our life because our our faith and our trust is in Christ. It's not in our bank account. That's right. I mean, I should be the well, same. So you know, can I have a large savings account? I've had I've had large savings accounts, right? And I've had very small savings accounts. Uh, I, again, I don't set my heart on it. And mm. either way, whether I have a, a large one or a small one. Well, Christians and wealth. We hope that this was informative. And and by the way, uh, can I'm I'm a little short. Can you float me a Franklin this week? I got I got a Lankin for you. <laughs> a Lankin? Yeah, Lankin. Is that how they say it in Arkansas? You've been listening to Fresh Bread, the podcast ministry of Grace Bible Church Gainesville. For more information, go to gracegainesville.org. And thanks for listening. <laughs>